Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. There's another neat feature, which is you can tell it to automatically appear and disappear. So one setting is you can tell it to automatically appear only when you're moving a slider. So you'll look at the picture and you move the slider and the screen appears automatically. And as soon as you're like, oh, it vanishes, right? But, and there's also the inverse. You can say, show me the histogram, but when I grab a slider, hide it because you want to see the whole picture, right? So it lets you have the histogram available to you, but only exactly when you want it. And that's important on a small screen where every single, you know, square inch matters. Welcome back to another episode of the Pros. This is a fun one with Nick from Gentleman Coders. Gentleman Coders was founded in 2016 by Nick, an 18-year-old veteran of Apple. His roles in the Photos App group included Senior Director of Engineering and Chief Technical Officer. He also led the Raw Camera and Core Image teams, as well as the imaging team for the Mac version of Photos. He holds 55 patents in a wide range of disciplines, including image processing, audio processing, geotagging, wireless networking, and user interface design. It was a fascinating discussion, including some of his learnings from his time working on Aperture and Photos within Apple and diving deep into his own app, Raw Power, which is incredible on the iPad and does take advantage of the unique platform that is the iPad and is one of the only tools on iPadOS that lets you edit raw files from cameras that aren't supported by Apple. As a reminder, you can support this podcast over at patreon.com slash iPadPros or by subscribing in Apple Podcasts. Even a dollar a month goes a long way in helping support the production of this show. And your support is greatly, greatly appreciated. Without further delay, here's my discussion with Nick, all about raw power. Enjoy. Welcome to podcast, Nick. Thank you. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So I have been in the photography kick ever since getting the 14 Pro Max, having a new kid for the first time, where you take <laughs> thousands of photos, and also getting a Sony uh, mirrorless camera. So I've, I, I'm really taking a lot of photos these days and learning the ins and outs of RAWs and editing those. And you are the perfect person to talk to as you are the creator of Raw Power. Great, great. So uh, first, can you just introduce yourself a little bit about your background and kind of the iPad? What role does that have? Sure. Uh, So uh, I spent a long time at Apple uh, in a variety of roles. Uh, uh, In terms of photography, uh, I was in charge of the uh, of Aperture and iPhoto, and then uh, later on the uh, uh, the imaging part of the Photos application, some of the underlying frameworks like the uh, Core Image, the Raw Camera features were all uh, things that uh, were part of my organization. Um, and so I spent about um, ten years in photography, and then left Apple and started the Raw Power app. Um, in terms of um, iPad, I mean, the iPad is probably the device, including the Mac, that I use the most. I actually spend most of my time actually on the Mac when I'm not developing software. Yeah. So I use it for kind of everything, mm-hmm. um, especially now that, you know, you've got iPad Pros with mice and keyboards. It's kind of my main thing um, when I'm not actually sitting there, you know, pounding away at the keyboard to write code. Yeah, I imagine Swift Playgrounds could not support raw power at this point. <laughs> <laughs> no, there are definitely limitations. And, and uh, you know, so, yeah, so so it's it's kind of a split world between the Mac and the iPad. But I, I think it's important to choose 
the best tool for what you're doing, right? Yeah. And the iPad is fantastic for lots of things, but uh, you know, high-end image processing application development's not one of them. <laughs> right. Yeah. And NetBackground's super cool coming from Apple and dealing with their photography apps and you were kind of spearheading like the direction of feature sets and like was UI a part of that or what kind of aspects? Yeah, yeah, um, everything. So uh, uh, in, uh, I, I was a senior director there. So I was in charge of the um, whole organization uh, for engineering. So it was uh, specifying features, um, user interface, underlying architecture. And I also created a, a number of the features that are in the product as well, at least, you know, Aperture uh, and, and iPhoto. So it was really both of those things. And so it was really great to be part of all of those different pieces. Yeah. Because you get a really good insight into the stack from the top to the bottom. For sure. And um, as far as photography itself, what, what drew your interest into that? Uh, like, did was it one of those things at Apple you are like, we were working on these different apps and you kind of volunteered and then got into photography as a result of building these apps or was it a passion before that? A little bit of both. Um, so I had, my dad was really into photography and so he always had a camera with him and he was always shooting. Um, it was a Minolta mostly. He shot Minolta. Uh, and then I was shooting a lot in college. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I took a, kind of took a break from that, but then, you know, kind of like you, I, I have kids. When the kids came along, then it's like, okay, let's let's uh, we're taking a lot more pictures and videos and and that kind of thing. So I was starting to get more and more into that. The opportunity for Aperture came up, uh, where um, that group needed help, and so I transitioned over there to help them uh, get it out the door. And so that was my exposure at that point to raw and um, more advanced imaging. So I was more taking pictures, you know, just a regular person before moving into uh, much higher end uh, photography and printing and, and that kind of thing. And uh, I, you know, caught the bug at that point and I've really been into it ever since then. Gotcha. Pretty so, cool. and one nice thing about being at Apple is you get to play with a lot of cameras. Yeah. So I've gotten to play with like just a crazy <laughs> range of cameras. So, it's, that was really great. You, it, 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 you learn a lot and you also um, get to really appreciate the different, um, you know, the different approaches each manufacturer has. So, yeah, that's weird. And something your app fills a niche of is many cameras aren't supported by iOS or Mac OS, including the camera that I just got, the Sony EVZ10. Um you probably have insights as to how they decide or how they go about adding support. Um, but I'm, I'm curious as to kind of what the process was for you in deciding this is the route I want to go and building, I think kind of the only app that does this outside of Lightroom on iOS of supporting all these weird, uh, not weird, but all this, all these, very unique cameras uh, that all have their own little file formats that all have their own little tweaks about them. Um, so it kind of walking through the process of why raw power. Uh, you know. Sure. So yeah, there, there's really a couple of different things there. So let's start with the camera support. So you, you're right. Um, so Apple has historically supported a lot of cameras, hundreds and hundreds of cameras. And there's, there's a complex process for supporting a camera 
uh, you know, calibration, taking lots of shots. There's a whole bunch of stuff that goes goes you know, through the that's involved in um, supporting a new camera. And uh, over the recently, the rate at which they have been supporting cameras has dropped noticeably. Yeah. Um, and so uh, you know, we can we can speculate as to why, but but in in reality, it, it doesn't matter. Right. Um, no. So we so what I noticed was. I'm getting more and more emails from people asking for, you know, this camera or that camera. And these are not niche cameras. I mean, uh, <laughs> Apple, you know, doesn't support the Sony a seven four, for example. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's not a niche camera. Uh, so, yeah. um, so there's that kind of thing. And it's not just new cameras. There's formats that also Apple's never supported. So one of them is Fujifilm. Um, has a compressed format, and that mm-hmm. is the kind of the default way people shoot. But Apple's decoder doesn't support compressed Fuji at all of any camera, yeah. no matter what. And um, so that's that. That's a real problem for people because if you've already shot it as compressed, <laughs> short of converting it, mm-hmm. you're kind of stuck. Yeah. So I felt that it was really important to. Uh, you know, try to help these people out because they want to use iCloud, they want to use photos, but their camera is not supported. One of the things that I think is not maybe well understood is why these cameras aren't just automatically supported. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah, I think people, I I get these, again, I get, get people asking me about this because one would think sort of rationally that if, let's say, Sony or Fuji would go and send Apple a document that says, this is our format and here's how to decode it. But they don't do that. And so camera companies have historically kept their formats completely private. It's, it's their secret. They don't tell you anything about them. And so all of these companies that have to write decoders have to reverse engineer the formats. That is bonkers to to me because they're selling these cameras (laughs) And the companies themselves, like, I don't think Sony has a comprehensive editing suite. Correct me if I'm wrong, or do they? <laughs> like, they're not selling uh, software. They might. <laughs> yeah, like, these companies aren't selling software. Their business <laughs> is the hardware, I would think. You'd think that. And, I mean, Nikon, they have their Nikon applications. It's, it's complicated. I, I don't want to really yeah. speak for them, but I do know that they consider their their raws to be you know part of their um secret sauce we'll call right. it and so it's not something that they document they don't provide that information there's a new uh camera it's a it's a panasonic i think the gh6 and they've changed the format of it in terms of the files and so it's it, 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 it instead of the gh5 it's very different and so yeah, it's like, well, this is going to be a gigantic effort to now go and support this file, and they're not telling anybody how it works. So we're all kind of stuck. And yeah. it, it sounds, it, as you said, it sounds bonkers, and it is. So it's like, it like, it's like encouraging people to shoot in JPEG on these nice cameras and lose the right. quality. And, yeah. I mean, in fact, sometimes the manufacturers encrypt the information in the file. <laughs> I am not making that up. That oh, is really wow. happens sometimes. So, so it's, it's a large effort to um, support a new camera and, you know, Apple's got its priorities. It's got its list of what it's going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but that doesn't always mesh with somebody who gets a camera, you know, for Christmas or a birthday or something. And they're like, what do I do now? So that was one of the big um, priorities for raw power was to um, add that support for cameras uh, so that people could use them. And so raw power works kind of two ways. There's the part that integrates the photo library and Mm -hmm. the part, well, three ways there's, there's a photo extension. And then there's something that lets you just work with files, whether it's the files app on iOS or the finder. And so for the important thing for the raw support was it, it shouldn't matter how you store your images. So even yeah. if you have a raw in photos and you cannot see the image or mm-hmm. edit it in photos, raw power can read it in the photo library, give you a thumbnail, give you the metadata and let you edit it. So all of those things are actually implemented in raw power. So you can even use your, the, you can put those raws into the photo library um, and work with them in raw power because raw power provides a, its own alternative interface to your library. So photos looks at the photo library and raw power looks at the same photo library. It works with it. It reads and writes it, but it gives you a lot more features. The extension within photos, is that purely for editing within the photos app of formats that iOS and iPadOS support, or does that extension somehow enable you to work with those RAWs within the Photos app? So the photo extension, just to be clear, the photo extension actually only runs on Mac. It's not on iOS. Okay, gotcha. But it, but it can read the uh, RAWs that photos cannot read. Oh, so it actually that's even awesome. does that too. Yeah, and actually, the reason why there's no photo extension on the iOS is kind of uh, uh, funny. Um, Apple's does not. So on Mac, if you have a RAW in the photo library and you open a photo extension for editing, mm-hmm. you get the RAW. The extension gets the RAW. Yeah. On iOS, they do not give the RAW to <laughs> extensions ever, and I've had this conversation with them multiple times um, that we need to start doing this. So the extension is not there because an extension called raw power that never got the raw seemed like asking for (laughs) confused people. So it it just, it doesn't, it's it's not there. And that's because iOS doesn't provide that information. It's just one of those things. So I keep hoping um, with M1 iPads, Mm -hmm. can we have the raw now? That would be great. So hopefully one day. Yeah. Um, So when a new camera comes out, Mm -hmm. do you get sample images somewhere from the, these cameras to test against or what's your process for actually going in and adding support for new cameras yeah that, that's a good question so uh yes the the way so i don't of course have all these cameras that'd be myself, very expensive so <laughs> that would be very expensive <laughs> yeah um uh, yeah when when, when uh, hasselblad comes out with a new camera boy that just kills me <laughs> <laughs> yes. um so so what i do is um it's a combination of things. I, I um, will look for files um, that are just posted out there. I often will actually contact customers. So a customer will t- ask me, oh, you know, do you, uh, you don't support camera X, which they, of course, have. Right. And so I will ask them uh, for a set of images. It's a very specific set of images so that then I can use that to... Um, analyze and then produce what I need to do to support the file. So there's a it's a multi-step process to get that camera support out, which gives you um, 
so it feels like it was supported by Apple. You get all the same features, all the same editing. There's nothing, there's very little, if anything, that's lost in the process of my extended support versus what Apple provides because of that process. So in the Photos app, if you import a raw that's not supported, it's just kind of like a gray thumbnail, right? <laughs> um, after you edit a photo with raw power, does um, does that, that thumbnail, does that then magically get sent over to photos using some kind of JPEG compound file, or how does that all work? Yeah, so the way it works is when you edit, when, when you edit an image, um, then two things get stored into the photo library. The first thing that's stored is a full-size JPEG uh, that, that represents all the images. So it's basically, you know, take all the edits and render a JPEG, and then that gets passed to photos. Okay. And so it uses that, and it makes thumbnails and stuff out of that. Mm -hmm. So now you're seeing the image as it was edited. But the other really important thing that gets stored in there is the, list, is the information about the adjustments. All of the data about the adjustments as actual data, not as um, pixels but as instructions, yeah. right? You move exposure by this and you mm -hmm. did levels here or curves or whatever. That all gets also stored into the database. And because that's stored in the database, that means that actually you have full non-destructive editing. So you can come back the next week or the next year, open up that image and you have all the sliders in the right spot and you yeah. can you know, continue editing. Also, um, that works across iCloud. So if you have edited the image on your iPad, you can then go and you're using iCloud Photos, mm -hmm. you can go to your iPhone and open up raw power and see, again, all the sliders are on the right place and keep going. And you can even go to your Mac and continue editing there. And then it goes back to the iPad, the iPhone, all of those things all synchronize with full um, non-destructive editing through iCloud Photos. It's really amazing how well that works through the photo library. Very cool. And Something I did experience is I'll have a raw that I edited in, say, Pixelmator Photo. I bounce in the raw power, and I try to edit that photo, and I kind of I it, it needs me to revert to the original. Is is that a limitation of raw file formats, or what, what's going on there? Okay, so yeah, um, what's happening there is so I mentioned how the photo library lets an uh, an, ex an app or an extension store its um, adjustment information into the database. Mm -hmm. But it only lets you only lets one application store that. Uh. And further, it doesn't... So you kind of have to look at it as a series of almost like layers, sort of like a Photoshop layer kind mm -hmm. of thing. So you've got your original RAW. The first application will edit it. Let's say it's Pixelmator. Yeah. Pixelmator edits the photo. What has it got to do? It's got to store a JPEG into the library mm -hmm. along with instructions. So now if you go to the next editor, like Raw Power, if, what's it going to work with? Well, if it works with the Raw, you're not going to see the Pixelmator and stuff. And it yeah. doesn't have, it has no way of rendering Pixelmator's instructions. The instruction set's different. LUTs are universal, but like each app has its own specialized instruction set. Like you pass LUTs from one app to another, but once you start, right. Well, yeah. What's yeah. happening there is, it, so so when when an app, let's say Pixelmator or Raw Power, uses a LUT, it doesn't. There's no standard format for describing how an image is edited. Yeah. So it's not like there's, um, you know, uh, something like a 
text file or you know mm-hmm. format yeah. HTML, some equivalent of that that everybody follows. And you say, oh, okay, I understand that Pixelmator applied a lot and they did this exposure and this and that. And now I can read this and process it. That's not how it works. Every application has its own way of storing the information and they have their own algorithms. So everybody's nobody has everybody else's algorithms mm-hmm. and they don't know how to read the data. So when the second editor sees what the first editor did, it's like, I don't know. So yeah. it just takes the JPEG and keeps working on it. Gotcha. Same in the reverse. If mm-hmm. you started with raw power and you edit raw power, then Pixelmator is just going to get a JPEG because they can't read the raw power data yeah. any more than raw power can read the Pixelmator data. Gotcha. So it's it's just kind of one of those things. And even if they could read the data, they don't have the same um, image processing. It interpreted so, it differently, so it actually looked different. Probably. Right. Yeah. Right. So if you know, I raw power has its own set of adjustments. Like it has, we you know. Um, there's a, a, a deep and enlightened slider or it's got its sharpener. Well, that is not available to Pixelmator and Pixelmator's filters are not available to raw power. So there's no way for the apps yeah. to really share that. And that's unfortunate, but that's kind of how it's always been. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, JPEGs and RAWs. I've seen where Halide will, and big cameras too, will capture both a, a RAW and a JPEG simultaneously it makes these compound files. Um, and you mentioned like there's a JPEG written when you edit to the photos library as like a preview. What What's the, can, can you kind of walk me through uh, these compound files versus the thumbnails and how that all works um, and kind of the sure. workflow for dealing with these two different versions? So it's not a compound file. It's two separate files. Okay. So when, so, so, well, there's, boy. They're like linked together. No, in some no, way. Nothing is simple, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so in a raw, okay, so let's, let's, let's take a JPEG to separate. So a JPEG will have in stored inside of it, like a, maybe a little thumbnail, for mm-hmm. example. And a raw will have a raw, and then it will have one or two additional thumbnails stored within it. Sometimes it's a small one, an EXIF thumbnail, and then a larger one, which may be full size or maybe a little bit smaller. So there's the raw. The raw has itself a uh, a JPEG, and then if you shoot raw plus JPEG or raw plus HEF or whatever, mm-hmm. there's a separate file that gets written. Now that HEF or that JPEG is made by the camera, and so that's kind of important because yeah. the raw. When you open the raw in any any raw decoder, that raw will not look the same as the camera generated JPEG. And that's because raw decoders have a style. Each company has a look that they want their raws to look yeah. like. And each camera manufacturer, they want their photos to look a certain way. So like Nikons might be more, you know, they may be more vivid or they may punch up the reds and then Sony has their own style. And that's what the camera builds. The camera generates a JPEG that's the way, that's the aesthetic of the company that makes that camera. Mm-hmm. And then the raw is decoded by everybody differently. So mm-hmm. Adobe RAWs look different from Apple RAWs, look different from Capture One RAWs, because it's the aesthetic of the company that made that RAW decoder. So the RAW and the JPEG don't match in general. Gotcha. So, so you'll sometimes maybe see a, a shift in, in the color between the RAW and the JPEG. Uh, and so a RAW, RAW plus JPEG will also generally not match yeah. for that same reason, right? Because they're yeah. decoded through different pieces of, 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 of software. Mm-hmm. So... When you shoot raw plus JPEG or raw plus heath, what you're getting is two files 
But when you put them into an app like Photos, it treats it as a single asset, a single item where the you can you can work with them somewhat independently, somewhat, yeah. but they're, they they kind of go together as a unit. Mm-hmm. Um, and depending on where you are, like on the Mac, you can edit the JPEG or the RAW in Mac Photos, but on iOS, you can't. Yeah. You can only edit the JPEG unless you're using raw power. Yeah. Using raw power, <laughs> then you can edit the raw, right? So, yeah. um, so, so that's kind of what's going on there. So there's, there's two separate files that are linked together, Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they, they kind of go together to kind of join at the hip. That's essentially what's happening there. Do share sheets favor the JPEG or Heath? If I don't know, like if Apple Photos, if I have a, that, that both of those images there, do, do, you don't get a pick, I don't think. No, you don't pick. And so that's, that's sort of policy. It's up to the app to decide what it wants to do. Generally speaking, when if you've edited the photo, you're gonna get the JPEG. You're gonna get an edited JPEG. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you're doing Robles JPEG, there's a control in photos that kind of says, "Do you want me to send all of the data or just some of the data?" And so if you if you set that flag, and that's a relatively new feature, then it will send both the raw and the JPEG. Otherwise, it'll just send one of them. So Robles JPEG is super powerful, but it there's a lot of complexity and mm-hmm. a lot of gotchas that kind of come up with it. So, yeah. so if you're using that, you kind of really need to be uh, aware of what's really going on there because there's so many, well, in this case, well, well, it's raw plus but well, oh, in that case, you know, that's what happens a lot. Gotcha. Um, something I'm curious about is stacking for editing. Um, uh, so HDR stacking and focus stacking. Is this something you've looked into? There's only one app I know on iPad that can do this. I I know it's a bit more complex, but I I used it the other week to save a very old iPhone photo. Uh, we had uh, two photos taken of me in front of a waterfall. One was exposed for the waterfall behind me. One was of me, and it saved this photo where I didn't. I took this years ago. It's like ah, I might be able to do something with this one day, and it, it did. Um, so I'm not sure if this is something that is. It makes sense for an app like Raw Power. Um, you know, it's it's something people have asked for, and um, it's definitely interesting. I haven't done anything with HDR and stacking in part because um, that's a very specialized tool, mm-hmm. and there are very specialized tools for it. Yeah. So um, I've been trying to focus more on the, um, you know, kind of the ninety. 95 yeah. percent case of um, editing images I think that there are there's a lot of special purpose image processing that's necessary so mm-hmm. so I, I you know never say never but it's not something that the application does right now it's not on the immediate horizon either gotcha yeah it's something I know like the big fancy cameras you can take a bunch of photos and and that's kind of the purpose of it so um, right but I right. don't again I don't know how often that's ever used like um yeah yeah i think it's for some people it's used more than us if you're if you're an astrophotographer then yeah you're gonna stack a lot but there is you know a very very good uh software that's designed for that market exactly and you know that's what you're going to use to get the right results yeah so, and you, and you know. people may even like start there and they have that now workable file they can edit in their favorite app of choice after that depending right yeah and, you know I, I think from my standpoint if if i can't do something you know 
the best or, you know, nearly the best. It's, I'd rather let somebody else do that and, and, and recommend people use that tool yeah. than try to just check a box. For, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, user interface of raw power. Can you kind of walk me through kind of your mindset in designing that designing this app that it scales really nicely from the iPad all the way down to the iPhone. Um, you have a Mac version as well, of course. And then, um, one really nice thing I like about the UI is you have all these different areas of editing capabilities in a photo and it'll kind of mark it in a different color when you've done something there. So you can know that I've, I've touched this, this area of the app. I can kind of look back at this or address a different part of the photo. So the, the, the UI is, so the, the interesting thing about the UI, especially on iOS is it's, I didn't want to make an interface that was, um, was designed to be so simplistic that it was, oh, well, it's just a phone. What can you do on a phone? Yeah. You can do anything on a phone. Yep. And so the, the, it, it's very difficult to get this level of um, sophistication in an iPhone SE-sized thing. But, mm-hmm. but, but people do. And, you know, one thing that's interesting, when the, it's, 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 uh, it's possible to kind of tell, okay, people are using the iPad or the iPhone or whatever. And when the iPhone 10 came out, that quickly became the number one device for raw power. <laughs> which is amazing. Yeah. And so it, it's, it's the apps got to be able to provide a really good experience. If you're holding it in portrait or you rotate the phone, all the features have to be there. So, um, so there's a bunch of things specific in the app. So for example, what you can do is you can, there, there's about 15 different um, sets of adjustments, mm-hmm. right? So things like crop or, you know, sharpening or curves or whatever. Yeah. So you can you can turn them on and off individually, but you can also decide the order that you want them to appear, and you can also um, remove them from the list. So yeah. for a smaller screen, you can shrink down the number you're looking at. So it's maximizing your screen real estate. You right. You may not be someone that uses curves, and you may not want to see right. That. You never see it, and also. On, on iOS, whenever you um, basically open an adjustment to look at it, all the other ones close. Yeah. So that way you're always focused on the one you're working on, but it's not a modal experience. You just go tap on the next one and it expands the other ones shrink, right? Mm-hmm. So the whole thing kind of um, adapts to a smaller screen by doing this sort of management of which adjustments are more important to you, which ones do you want to see or not see, um, if you, if you decide, oh, for this image, I want curves, then the next time you go back to the image curves appears, but the next image, well, that's not one of your main ones. So it, it, it hides itself. Right. Yeah. So, so you get the best of both by doing that. And in, in portrait orientation, the same thing, you've got this list of all these adjustments, but you can control which ones you see and what order that you see them in. So that's, you know, very much designed to make the app um, easy to work with. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Something kind of interesting along that lines, I don't know if this would make sense at all to implement, but different different controls. I, I'd love one for I'm shooting a landscape versus people and have different controls show, like te- almost templating the controls in a way. I don't know if that even would make sense to, to try to even design. 
Are you talking sort of by subject matter? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's possible. Um, I think uh, I'd have to think about that. It's, it's an interesting. It might idea. be a bit complicating. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you'd explain because you know you have you have templates already as far as like LUTs and stuff that you can import and, and work with. Um, right. I mean, I, look, a configurable interface I think is generally a valuable thing. It, it's just a balance of making sure you don't confuse people and they wonder yeah. <laughs> that the application kind of figured out. Oh, these are portrait images. I should show you these controls. And these right. And then yeah. It's like, You'd almost need to in the um in the reordering configuring you have to have like I don't know a different like a, a drop down of which which uh, which set you want. Uh, interesting idea. Yeah. Um. I'll, I'll tell you another thing that's uh, special about the app in terms of dealing with uh, these smaller screens or the fact that the screens change so much in aspect ratio, yeah. right? Wide to narrow. So the histogram, of course, is a pretty fundamental tool when editing images. But when you're holding like an iPhone, for example, or your portrait on an iPad, there's not room to put that anywhere. Right. So the histogram basically appears as a separate little floating guy that you can drag around mm-hmm. and get it out of the way. But there's another neat feature, which is you can tell it to automatically appear and disappear. So one setting is you can tell it to automatically appear only when you're moving a slider. So yeah. you look at the picture and you move the slider and the Instagram appears automatically. And as soon as you let go, it vanishes, huh. right? Yeah. But, and there's also the inverse. You can say, show me the histogram, but when I grab a slider, hide it because you want to see the whole picture, right? Yeah. So it lets you have the histogram available to you, but only exactly when you want it. And that's important on a small screen where every single, you know, square inch matters very much yeah i mentioned LUTs a second ago can you speak a bit more on LUTs and its mm-hmm. uses within raw power and sure yeah so so LUTs so LUTs in the app um there are so so a lot of course a lookup table is basically um a way to very quickly uh change the appearance of image to have a certain style mm-hmm. like the way they put them in movies you know say oh this movie has a very you know, it's 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 got a tint to it. It's it's in a desert, and it's got this sort of you know yellowish brownish yeah. look to it. And if you kind of don't even notice it sometimes, but it's a very important part of of the mood. And so, what's nice about LUTs is they they kind of incorporate a lot of stuff that a preset does, but in a way that is um, easier to use and share. So um, so raw power comes with a whole bunch of LUTs. So there's some ones that are meant to be creative, like a, like a film, right? Mm-hmm. So they, it gives you a mood, whether it's a nighttime mood or a whatever, desert or whatever. And then there are bunches of ones that are actually meant to simulate the Fuji film, film simulations. Yeah. So those were done. So I worked with a bunch of people, customers who um, shoot Fuji, and they and I worked together to tune these simulations to look um, very close to what the Fuji ones are, because the you know the Fuji simulations are designed for their cameras and their system, whereas you know my engine is different, so they have to be different. Uh, and then I worked with a third another company uh, called Lutify, and they provided LUTs as well. So all of these things let you very quickly generate a really cool look. Yeah, you can also there's an intensity slider that lets you dial it back. 
you can get a look and mm-hmm. then kind of tone it down a little bit. And you can import your own. So you can bring in your LUTs from anywhere and you can get them online for free. I mean, there's yeah. thousands of these things available free and they're all sorted by the app. You can import them and use them right away. So you can get those looks really quickly mm-hmm. uh, with these LUTs and um, you know, it's fast and there's a lot of flexibility with that's really cool. And I'd imagine when like DaVinci Resolve comes to iPad, I'm sure those will support LUTs and you could have the same look for the video you're editing and the, the photo you're working with in raw power. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So um, I'm curious a bit on raw files versus DNGs, which appear to be like a stripped down version of raw. Is that the best way of describing it? Uh, no, they're there. So DNG is an open raw format. So I mentioned earlier how camera companies, they don't document their raws mm-hmm. formats. Most of them are variants of TIFFs, but even then they're not, they don't meet the TIFF spec in a lot of cases. And yeah. it's kind of the same concept, but not the same thing. And so DNG is a documented raw format. So, um, when someone creates a DNG, you can feel feel pretty good, like ninety eight percent good, that that's going to be work everywhere. Yeah, because Adobe has actually documented this is what these fields mean, and this is where they are. There's no hiding of inf- well, there is hiding, but yeah. there's, there's less hiding, less hiding uh, yeah. of information uh, in there. So, so when so a, a manuf- there's a manufacturer raw and there's a DNG, and you can take a raw from any company pretty much and make a DNG out of it with Adobe's DNG converter. And so what that, that, that people, some people do that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that's actually necessarily the best thing to do. It's, it's a preference. Um, there are pros and cons to doing that. So when you are using the manufacturer's raw, uh, then all of that data is going to be there. And a company like Apple, which has, characterized and analyzed those images will have a very custom um, way of representing that image. That's the best possible image. And then when it's converted to DNG, it, they will read all that similar kind of data, but the look may be a little bit different. So it's not 100% the same if you use a RAW versus a DNG. And I'm just talking about Apple's decoder. Yeah. Different decoders will do different things. So... Um, it's a great way to get support for a camera that is not supported for some reason. Right. So that's a big plus. And, you know, there, there's, there's two ways of making a D, well, two main ways of making a DG. One is to just convert it. Mm-hmm. And so the, the Canon file becomes a DNG. You can also make a DNG and store the original raw inside the DNG. Okay. Yeah. Which makes a very big file. But what it Double, lets you yeah. do is, let's say that you're saying, well, Apple or somebody will support this format in a month, but I want to get started now. Yeah. You make a DNG, you store the raw in there. You don't need the original raw anymore. Mm-hmm. And then when when the company you work with supports that raw, you can extract the original raw back out. Ah, uh, yeah. So it's, DNGs can contain... Um, proprietary raws inside of them and pull them out again. So you can do that as well. So there, there's some flexibility there. That's really cool. And then there's a then there's a third thing called yeah. linearized DNG, mm-hmm. which is yet a different thing. <laughs> and that's ProRaw. So oh, ProRaw is a version yes. of DNG. Interesting. Okay. ProRaw is an interesting version of DNG. So um, so so um, iPhones when RAW first came to iPhones for the camera, 
they were stored as DNG. So Apple did not make their own proprietary format. Mm -hmm. Thank God. What they did was they used DNG, and that was a great decision. Now, iPhone RAWs have their pros and cons in terms of how they look, and you know they're mm-hmm. they're not great in low light. Uh, Pro RAW is this newer thing, which is a D, again still DNG, but it most of the RAW processing has actually already been done. Yeah, so it's no longer really strictly speaking what I would call a RAW. Okay, it's not. It, it, it's it's most of that processing has already happened. So it's done all of the work to convert from a Bayer pattern raw file. It's now RGB. So ProRAW is RGB. It's not a Bayer pattern file. It's been processed. Yeah, for most people that haven't worked with RAWs, if you shoot in RAW, it's probably a bit underexposed and it's not very... Like when you shoot in ProRAW, it kind of looks pretty similar to the HeFeud shoot where it looks very... It looks like it's ready to go, uh, or it could be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's it uses Apple's all that clever computational photography stuff to make it look really nice, and there is still the ability to do some of the some work. So you have the ability mm-hmm. to do you know white balance. There's some control over tone mapping, but a lot of some of the raw things that you're used to doing are no longer possible because they've done that work already. They've processed the image already. Yeah. The plus of that is the image, as you said, it looks a lot better generally out mm-hmm. of the gate. But if Apple's made some decisions on, you know, some sharpening or noise reduction, you can't undo a lot of that. That's kind of already happened. Uh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. So it's not it's not as raw as you might think. You get a lot of the editing benefits mm-hmm. of a raw, but it's not all of them. Not all of them. And, and apps can, like Halite, I think, can shoot in the old version of RAW. Either one. Yeah, either one, yeah. Right. And uh, I should mention, Halide and RAW Power do integrate. So you can go from Halide, and you can open up RAW Power, and you can edit the image you shot in Halide directly. Oh, very cool. And in RAW Power, you can hit a button and go to open open Halide. So the two apps actually do talk to each other. Oh, that's that's very cool. As far as shortcuts, I'm curious, and I guess DNGs in general, have you considered like a way of using raw power within shortcuts to, after you do your big dump of unsupported cameras, to use raw power to kind of make them happier in the Photos app? Uh, yeah, yeah, I have thought about that. Um, it's uh, not something in the app currently, but I think that's really cool. There's a lot of interesting workflows that can be enabled. So, yeah, one possibility is, gee, can I make these things work better in the Photos app? Or, you know, is there something else we can do? I want to hit a button that does a thing that I do all the time with it, yeah. whatever it is. I make 16 by 9 crops that are going to show up on Yeah, you TV copy all the adjustments like that. that you do for... Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's. I think that would be uh, pretty cool. Yeah. That'd be pretty cool. Cool. Yeah. Um, and then, um, as far as batch processing... Uh, when you're actually in raw power, what kind of stuff can you batch process? Uh, to say you have a photo shoot and you want to do a bunch of stuff to sure, Th- that's actually one of the strengths of the app is this actual ability to do batch processing. So, um, so you can pick, uh, you know, a range of photos in the grid, just you know, okay, whatever number of them, all of them, if you want, and then there's a bunch of things you can do. So you can auto enhance them. So raw power is an auto enhance feature, and it will go and individually analyze each picture one at a time and enhance each one. Mm-hmm. So that's fixing things like the white balance or, you know, adjusting the 
making if it's too dark it makes it brighter if it's too bright it makes it you know uh more 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 uh, even you can batch apply a preset so if you've got presets that you have that the app comes with a whole bunch but if you want to add your own preset you can just a batch apply a preset um you can batch export so the export has a lot of things you can export is is very rich in the app you can control i want to write out to you know jpegs or pngs or tiffs or or whatever you can control the you know the bit depth the color profile at a watermark I and mean, there's a ton of stuff yeah. we well, don't do that one at a time so you can batch export that um you can you know revert over to original if you've got a whole bunch of edits you just want to clean them up so there's a whole lot of things you can do there uh all at once so that it's um it's really easy to make progress in fact one of the things you can do is let's say you've edited an image and you and you've got a whole bunch that are similar right mm-hmm. You, and you've edited one and you like that one. With batch processing, you can say, you know what? That last image I did, um, just paste on all of these. Yeah. Right? So it automatically remembers the last one you did. You don't have to do anything. It just remembers yeah. it and just goes through and just stamps it on all the ones that are going forward that you pick. So, yeah. That's one of my favorite things because I'll have a photo session and it's all in the similar lighting and <laughs> you know, subjects and this edit would look great everywhere. And doing that batch process is just great. Yes. It's called paste last edit. You just say, you know, here you go, paste. And and that's it. Yeah. Something I'm curious about. I don't know if you have an XDR iPad pro yet. Um, the reference mode on the, the new iPads, when, when that is appropriate versus what your thoughts are on true tone, I know, like Apple in the settings, they use reference mode when you're in a color-friendly environment where it's not going to make you see different things. Uh, any thoughts on on that stuff? Yeah, that's tricky. Um, you know, I mean, you know, True Tone is meant to balance, you know, for different times of the day or different lighting situations to uh, look more natural or be kinder to your eyes. Yeah, uh, all those kinds of things. When you're editing an image, you obviously want a more neutral situation because when someone's going to see that image you're editing is not the same time you're actually editing it, right? Yeah. So you you want to have as neutral or at least a, as well well defined uh, a screen as you can. That's why people calibrate their monitors and stuff. They want to have everything known so that when they're editing it, there's no surprises, right? Yeah, I, I've sometimes caught myself. I've sometimes caught myself. It's like, oh, night shift is on. Turn that off. <laughs> exactly yeah because yeah, things will be yellow right yes things get more yellow and then you come back and going what was i thinking yeah uh, well well you know the, the the screen changed on you and yeah. so that's that's the thing that happens so yeah it's important to be careful and that's why also people will adjust the background of the image they're editing because if it's too bright or too dark then that can cause you to perceive uh you know color and contrast differently than if it's more neutral background. Yeah. So all those things factor in. Yeah, very much so. And um, as far as the editing tools, uh, there are certain tools within Raw Power that are just for raw photos. And one thing I'm curious about is there's uh, Sharpen within Raw and then there's Sharpen for just everything. And you can actually do both. Can you kind of walk me through um, that description? That sure. um, ability to, to sharpen twice over. Yeah, and you know that that, that is a, a, a confusing part. Uh, I, I acknowledge that, um, and it's it's kind of a it's 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 there to 
provide people with different tools that will have different effects. So each mm-hmm. sharpener works a little differently and and it actually works at different points in the pipeline. So so raw power, despite its name, can edit basically any image. You can add it, you know, JPEGs and HEFs and you know PNGs and TIFFs and and RAWs. But and all the tools are the same except the raw specific tools. And so one of them is like what you said, which is called uh, raw sharpen. There's another one called Boost, which is critical for doing highlight recovery. So yeah. Raw Power is extraordinary highlight recovery because it leverages, it hooks directly into Apple's raw decoder. And so it is able to manipulate the decode in a way that other apps just don't do. Um, and, and so all those things that are in this thing called raw processing are direct um, hooks into Apple's decoder. So Raw Sharpen and Raw Contrast are actual um, ways of interacting with the raw at the at its earliest stage. So when it's before it's been turned into something looking nice. So it's it's still working with that bare or or uh, mosaic data. And so um, some apps have something called capture sharpening, which is very early stage. Raw sharpen is basically capture sharpening. Okay. And it is it's camera dependent. So each camera is a little different, and the and the raw sharpener works differently on different cameras. So in some, it's it's a more aggressive sharpener, and others, it's a less aggressive sharpener. It has to do with the camera itself and the sensor. Then there's a general sharpener, which works differently. It's just a different kind of thing that works on all images. And then there's something like this. There's clarity. Clarity is a, is, is, is a type of sharpener. So yeah. there's different sharpeners. They have different feels to them. And so it's kind of like, well, you know, you've you've got these different similar tools and it's preference or your workflow that decides which one to use. Gotcha. Yeah. And then as far as the editing tools in general, anything uh, you'd like to speak about as to kind of things that you're most proud of how you've implemented certain edit, edits within photos or? Sure. Um, so the th- there's a few. So then um, so one of them is uh, for portrait images, the, the portrait mode, there's a special adjustment called depth effect. And what that lets you do is um, work with the depth information that the camera has. And so what you can do is you can actually manipulate. So the, the, what the portrait mode does is it, it captures distance. Yeah. And then what Raw Power has the ability to work on the highlights and the shadows of the foreground and the background independently but not only can you do that, you can also kind of redefine what's foreground and what's background. So if if the if you want to kind of add a little bit more depth, for example, than was provided, you can actually stretch the the background essentially. And so that gives you a lot of um, ability to kind of really play with the uh, what's going on in the in the two parts of that image. Um, there's also there's uh, a, a purple fringe corrector. And so I'm very proud of that one because yeah. that's, as far as I know, that's the best one anywhere. It is able to correct uh, fringing that nobody else can correct. I, I had a, I have a customer who I mentioned I, that I was working on this fringe thing, mm-hmm. and he said, "Have I got an image for you?" And <laughs> it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. I mean, it's just the fringe is just epic. It's just huge amounts all over the place, and it actually made me throw away my fringe and write it from scratch all over again. And I showed it to him and he said, I have never, ever seen anybody fix that image. 
And so that one is the best. So that terminology, fringing, um, is that mm-hmm. that like purple artifact I see on some iPhone yeah. shots? Yeah. So it generally appears in high contrast areas. So for yeah. an example is if you um, point your phone, like if you were, we're entering winter, so you're going to have a lot of trees without mm-hmm. leaves. And so if you shoot the like a, a whitish sky, right, because yeah. it's all cloudy, and you shoot the uh, tree branches and then the sky, then that that dark to white transition mm-hmm. will you'll often get purple edges around those high contrast yeah. areas. That's fringing. And so it can happen in those cases in other high contrast kind of dark to um, light. And so uh, it, and, and basic fringing is not too hard to correct, but extreme fringing is very hard to correct without causing uh, damage or distortion to yeah. the image because you're trying to correct things. You can make it look weird. Right. And um, so the, the, this, this algorithm was tuned for the worst of the worst yeah. <laughs> of purple fringe. So, and is this something I'm you apply and it just looks at the entire image, or are you kind of mount, you know, uh, tapping over the areas that need work? No, it finds it for you. It finds it for yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. So there's purple and green fringing. There's there's two kinds, but they they work the same way. Uh, it's the same under underlying technique. Um, the vignette is nice because. Most vignettes will let you put a vignette around the center, mm-hmm. but the raw power one lets you pick the center. So if you've yeah. got a person who's slightly offset, yeah. you don't want that to, to be affected. You can just put that point anywhere you want to. And actually, when you do that, it temporarily darkens the vignette so it's very clear what it's going to mm-hmm. do. When you let go, it removes the the, the extreme effect yeah. so you can really see what's going to happen. So the the... the, the vignette that you can control the center of that's that's cool um and curves is uh unique so curves um is in a very advanced tool and uh but one of the things that people who really know curves if you kind of read the web pages on photoshop and curves they'll often tell you oh you know if you really want to work with a curve you need to do these nine steps yeah and so one of them is you need to cover it to LAB and then you need to do this, you need to do that and make a layer. Well, what they're trying to say is if you work with a curve, a lot of the times if you work with a curve, it's going to cause a tint. It tints your image. And that's because that curves generally work in that things are gamma corrected and they work on the grays, but not in a way that's necessarily what you want. It's just kind of historical. Yeah, And so the expert Photoshop people say, no, you want to work in luminance, not grace. And it's, it's, a, it's an expert thing, mm-hmm. but it's Yeah, I sometimes important. get confused if I should start with curves or do the other adjustments because you can do color adjustments right. elsewhere with just sliders. And... You know, both, both, are, both are very legitimate. But if you want kind of the best output, curves is your way to go and then use luminance. Yeah. Because if you use luminance, that's that nine-step thing in Photoshop. Well, there's just a button in, in raw power that does that for you. Nice. Yeah. And if you and you can also run in, you know, in, in different modes that give you all the power of advanced like Photoshop curves, but with just a button press here, a button yeah. press there. Nice. So so bring that power and make it easy. Yeah. How do you treat live photos? Is that not something you treat any different from standard photos uh, as far as the editing? Um, 
Yeah, right now, live photos are treated just as photos. If okay. They're not. Yeah, they don't work on the video. It's something I'd like. I'd like to improve in the future. Yeah, cool. On um, as far as the new cameras, uh, the iPhone 14 Pro, um, 48 megapixels uh, versus the old 12. Meg- any thoughts on just the these new photos we're able to, to capture on iPhones? That's a lot of pixels. It is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I I I have one. Yeah, uh, right here, and. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. What, what I really like is that there's these two different kind of modes. There's the 48 megapixel mode, which is, I think it works best in bright light because mm-hmm. the sights are just, are, they're, they're noticeably smaller. Yeah. But I really like that you can get a much better 12 megapixel image from the 48 yeah. through binning, right? So they said, well, let's take four of these, make one really good one out of it. So you get very nice 12 megapixel shots and then if you really need that maximum resolution for you know cropping or whatever and you have enough light man yeah go for that 48 so having those options is terrific yeah and they take advantage that then the 2x i find just stunning how well that works (laughs) i know it's just a prop good yeah. yeah And again, in, in bright light, the 3X is is really nice to have available to you, even, you know, but all those all those lens choices combined with the flexibility of the resolution is really fantastic. Yeah. So something I noticed uh, is that your app actually heavily uses the system settings. Like if you go to the settings app on your iPhone, raw power, there's a bunch of stuff in there. Um, what was, I guess, the decision first off to to use that versus settings within the app itself. And then as far as the settings, anything of note that people should kind of look at and maybe tweak? Um, yeah. So, you know, I mean, this most apps I'd say now have their own settings inside the app. And I mean, I can see that. I, I understand why that is. There are a lot of pluses, I think, to integrating with, the settings app. And one of the things that is important about raw power is it is, it is tries to be a poster child for a lot of stuff, right? It says, yeah. okay, I'm going to integrate the best I possibly can into this platform. And I'm going to do things the way we're, you know, that are the way that the Apple has designed things to be. And so the settings, putting the settings in the settings app is, you know, what, what you should do. And I like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's something I, I don't, often see as as well done here is it right and i mean there's there is a menu item you pick it in the app and it takes you right to settings to yeah. the page right so there's it's not like oh i've got to go dig through settings and look for it there's a quick jump to it but yep. it's that integration um so the i'd say that you know most of the settings the other things i don't i try not to make settings something that everybody should go to I think if you don't know a good, you could have a good policy, right? And then mm-hmm. the setting should be for, boy, that's a really unusual way of of working with this app. Yeah, okay, the outliers, the outliers. Yeah, together, yeah, right. So, so if you look at them, they're they're very specific. Oh, how do you want to special things about auto enhance or, you know, there's things like the I mentioned the background of the viewer. How neutral do you want it to be? So it defaults it to something smart, which is neutral gray, um, 18% neutral gray. But you can make it darker, bright, you know, based on how you see fit. Yeah. So there are a, there are a number of settings. Most of them, I think most 
people aren't going to need, but um, they're there. Yeah, they're there. And, uh, you know, it's worth exploring them to say, oh, yeah, no, I didn't know that. I Sometimes what's good about settings is they tell you about features you didn't know were in the app. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It's like, oh, I didn't know I could control this feature. It's like, yeah, you can. yeah. OK, <laughs> so go go for it. It's easier to show that as text than it is to try to, you know, put it in the UI somewhere. Yeah. Weird place. So we talked earlier about each camera has its own kind of unique file format. Um, lens correction it feels similar like as as far is that is that right like as far as lens correction are all 30 millimeter lenses like that are f1.4 the same or does each manufacturer have a different lens correction for that kind of specifications or how's that all work uh yeah they're all different okay um that's the short answer (laughs) nothing's the same uh Yeah. yeah so because they're you know they're they're every lens is designed to meet some goal right yeah it's a it's well it's, it's it could be a cost goal right it's like this needs to be an inexpensive lens this mm-hmm. has to be the can be as expensive we want so okay it's going to be softer on the edges oh no it cannot have any softness it must be you know tack sharp around well that costs more so every every lens design they're trading off different uh you know different things so um so some cameras will store lens correction information into the file mm-hmm. And uh, and when that happens, then uh, Apple's decoder generally is able to read that information and automatically correct the lens. So that's great. Now, um, Micro Four Third cameras, uh, Sony cameras, um, uh, some of the Leica cameras, a lot of them have that in there. So generally, the mirrorless cameras. Uh, so there's also ones from Canon Nikon that are mirrorless. So generally, mirrorless cameras store that information. Yeah. The 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 sort of the, the older or the more high end cameras don't usually store that information. Again, there's there's no ha- absolutes here, mm-hmm. so they don't. And then that generally requires um, some kind of calibration. And then older lenses sometimes don't have that information available to them. You know, it, it's 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 a real hodgepodge. Yeah. There's no there's nothing simple there. But yeah, every lens is different. Um, and then it's not just the lens. It's the lens, it's the focal length, it's the size of the sensor yeah. matters. All of these things matter. Right. So all of that has to all get kind of, you know, mushed together to generate an actual correction. So is that something you're going through lens by lens, finding the most popular lenses and kind of adding that as a an autocorrect? Um, no. So the there's 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 two ways the lens correction works. One is leveraging Apple stuff. Again, that's you know, one of my things is I, you know, it's, it's just me. So it's like, yeah. okay, <laughs> how can I leverage other people's really good work? Mm-hmm. That's why I use iCloud Photos. It's like, wow, there's a whole bunch of great, great people who are working on iCloud. Yes. I'll let them do that. Uh, same thing with the, the lens correction. Okay, Apple's got this thing really good. Let's let's leverage that. But then there is lens correction, manual correction built into raw power. And it's, it's a kind of a hybrid lens correction. I say manual, but it's really, it's a smart lens correction. It, it learns. And the way that works is, when you correct a lens, um, then it keeps track of those characteristics. What's the camera? What's the focal length? What's the lens? What's, you know, these different various pieces of metadata. And then it starts building a profile. So if you start to um, correct a few images, it starts to figure out, okay, this is how this lens ought to be corrected. Yeah. And then as soon as you at some point when you bring in an image, boom, it's automatically corrected for you. You don't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. So it'll automatically correct the lens using what you have taught it so far. 
And so I made a video and I provide a file you can print out, take a picture of it, use that in the app, and then you can adjust this. It's, it's there very, just a few simple sliders, yeah. get it looking right. And now you've taught the app about that lens. Mm -hmm. You can take a few more pictures of different focal lengths or whatever. And now you have now taught it how to correct your lens for you. Very cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. So nice. As far as the iPad, um, any specific platform features of the iPad, like the pencil, and I'm not sure if you've looked into Hover for this this new iPad and what could be done there. So yeah, the app does support the pencil, um, but mostly as a pointing device, mm -hmm. it doesn't do anything uh, too special with it. Uh, I am looking at Hover. I think that Hover is very interesting. There are some kind of obvious things that you could do with Hover that are kind of like, oh, that's kind of like how a mouse might do things, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. But then there's like, no, let's think about it a little differently. What is someone going to do when they've got the pencil kind of near it? Maybe it's a, you know, it's a show original, or maybe it's a previewing of something. Or mm -hmm. There's a lot of different things to try. I think it's an interesting area for experimentation. Yeah, for sure. So we've talked mainly about editing, but uh, the photo library is something you kind of build upon with star ratings, flagging, and you can filter. How's does that? How's that data kind of transpose into the Photos app? Is this data just prime, just used within raw power? Uh, kind of a little bit on the photo management aspect of. It. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great question. So that is one of the uh, unique features of the application is how it works with ratings and flagging, and so. As we know, the photo app on Mac and on iOS does not have ratings or flags, which is a, a pretty basic feature, yeah. but unfortunately it's still not there. I implemented a ratings in, in both on the Mac and the iOS. But yeah, that the question is, well, wait a minute. If it's only available in raw power, how useful is that really? And, and it's like, well, it's a little useful, but it's mm -hmm. not as useful as it could be. And also, well, how is that data going to work with iCloud? Well, yeah. that's a problem too. Yeah, where's the storage so, yeah, so where's the story? So the way it works is um, it actually makes some albums in your photo library. Mm -hmm. And there's one for each star rating. Okay. There's a one yep. star, two star, a reject, and a flag. And so all of those are, are present in your photo library as albums. And so when you rate things, it's basically putting that picture in the right album. It can be only be in one, right? So if you have one star, it's in the one star album. If you make it two stars, take another one star, put it in the two star. So it's basically managing the, the putting the images into those albums. And so that provides some really cool f uh, benefits. One is it syncs over iCloud, yeah. right? So that since albums sync, boy, you go to your other machine and all the ratings are there. So when you're go going to raw power on your other device, Mac or iPhone or whatever, all the ratings are there. Mm -hmm. You see the stars and you can change them and everything works. But also... Because they're albums, that means that you can take advantage of that ratings in photos yeah. or in any other app. So if you say, I'm going to make these five-star images, you can go to any app that can, that can read the photo library. And that means even just the most basic ones that have photo pickers. And you can find that five-star album, and they're your five-star images. So yeah. it integrates really well with the system to have... Uh, star ratings and flags work through this album system. And uh, what about filtering? What can you do there? Yeah, you can filter by um, things like, uh, you know, date, um, you know, a rating, a flag, um, 
raw plus JPEG. There's there's different characteristics. Yeah. There's some limitations to filtering partly like what you can't do today is you can't say things like, oh, show me all the images shot with this uh, particular, you know, Sony camera. Right. right? Okay. Uh, the Sony used a ZV-10 or, mm-hmm. or which one it is. Yep. So it's like, okay. And, and partly that's because the way that the photo library works, it doesn't provide that information um, inexpensively. Okay. Yeah, it's in the and, metadata, but that's a bit but that's too intensive. Available. Yeah, not available. I'd also well, see, imagine like Apple has this thing of like searching for dog and finding all the dogs. That's probably not available to you quite yet as a developer. Sadly, no. Yeah. So Apple does not provide access to the keywords, to the title, the caption, any of that stuff. It's yeah. all uh, private to them. Um, and so with things like metadata, it, that stuff is is not available without getting a hold of the original file, mm-hmm. opening it and reading it. And that's fine unless you've got an iCloud library. Yeah. Got an iCloud library. Well, I don't think people want me to download their entire library just nope. to see if it's shot with this <laughs> camera. No, nope, definitely so, not. So, yeah. So without the ability to read that metadata efficiently, there's not much point in having that kind of feature. Yeah. Uh, which is why it's not there. So, so the things that the app can do efficiently – it provides, yeah, uh, and without having to download your images. To and imagine that's probably a struggle as far as if you wanted to build smart albums, you don't have all the data because you don't want to download everything to make those smart albums with the data. And right, and photos does not um, uh, provide the smart albums to apps as well. Right. So if you make a smart album, like smart albums are not even on iOS, but in the Mac you can make smart albums. But those smart albums are not visible to third-party apps at all. Right. Nothing. Nothing at all. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So we're a little hamstrung with some of the things. I, I get a lot of emails from people saying, you know, how do I see the keywords? It's like love to show them to you. Yeah. I, I yeah. have asked many, many times, but uh, so far, uh, no dice. Yeah. Something I'm would love to see one day is. Um, I sometimes take photos at the same kind of time and place with my iPhone and my Sony camera. You can copy adjustments. I'd love if there was just a simple copy and paste of location. Yeah, that's a really good idea. I, I, I think um, I'm, I'm going to uh, look into that. I think that the ability to manipulate the location and just a simple copy paste of yeah. location, that, that's, 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 that's great. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, let, let's let's do that. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I, I, like I'll use different apps and I'll like search for where I was, but it'd be so nice to just copy and paste from like right. The, the, the photos literally right, right next to the other photo, and uh, especially with shared um, with shared photo library, I'll have you know my wife's photos right there that are all on iPhone, so it's like I got location data right there. Absolutely. Yep. You're 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 absolutely right. Yeah. So and then your app is for photos, but it can play back videos. Is that kind of the extent of where you see videos in, in raw power? Um, you know, I think the ability to edit them would be would be useful. Um it's more complicated edit video because some of the things you want to do, um the time aspect of video matters. But um you can play them and you can rate them and flag them and filter for them. So yeah. so they they do work in that way. So you can still do those kind of um features like rating. Cool. Uh, but in yeah. terms of editing, that's not that's not there at this point. Okay, excellent. And then, um, any hidden kind of touch gestures that are in the app? Um, you know, a little bit. They're mostly ones I think people are gotten used to, like 
you press and hold to show original, um, and you can double tap on a slider to reset it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I don't really like to create a lot of hidden gestures. Um, yeah, that's just not. I don't I don't I don't think that we're doing anybody any favors when they do something. It's like I don't know what happened. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so if they're kind of standardized ones, I'm inclined to do those rather than. Did you know that if you use three fingers and your toe? Yeah, it will do this, right? That, that yeah, keyboard shortcuts are a bit more discoverable than uh, than the touch gestures, <laughs> yeah. and it definitely does those. So if you have a keyboard, you will see a lot of shortcuts. So you can rate and flag and show original and arrow and jump around and all this kind of stuff. There's a very large number of of shortcuts um, through the keyboard. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, and the addition to the keyboard of the iPad has just been transformational. Like it's that's yes. great. <laughs> Yeah, whenever I, I don't have my keyboard and, I, and, the, and the soft keyboard comes up, I'm going like, I don't know, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then um, HSL, what's that short for? Have we have we touched on this one yet? No. So HSL, hue, saturation, and uh, luminance. Yeah. So it's a it's an, another advanced control. It's really really cool. What it lets you do is work on specific ranges of color so a common example would be the sky Mm -hmm. or grass or there's um you know you've got this uh you know orangey thing or something you want to work on and so what you can easily do is just say hey i want to work in the blues and i want to you know pump them up or mute them or make them darker or lighter or whatever and that's just a matter of you tap on blue and then you just kind of move some flowers, and it just very, very nicely um, adjusts just those colors yeah. without affecting anything else. And it's a it's it's lets you both uh, create a mood for things, but also just just adjust those pieces you want to really easily without any kind of fancy. Oh, let me select this or that or yeah. paint or whatever. Just pick that. And you can even there's a whole bunch of built in cues but you can also there's a custom one you can just tap that and then tap anywhere on the image and it will basically will blend the hues together oh, so very that you nice. don't yeah so it's like well it's not really that it's like a bluish green it's like well okay tap on the blue screen and it will then basically work on the blues and the greens together for you right you don't have to think about it yeah because in other apps i've had to like i have like brown and in the grass. So I have like a different color selected for that brownie grass. I'm trying to make green than the, the other grass. So it's nice to have that merge because. Right. Yeah. So if you've got kind of intermediate or if you want to work on the browns and the blues separately, you can do that too. Yeah. But both are available. So yeah, HSL is really cool. There's also split toning control. So you can work on the highlights separate from the shadows. Mm-hmm. So that's actually a really uh, powerful tool as well. So that's, that's neat. Uh, so that's there. That's th- those are both relatively new yeah. uh, features. Yeah, when I discovered the ability to like make the grass more alive and the, the sky more vibrant, it's like, oh, this is great. <laughs> like, this yeah. is like it, it's just instant gratification as far as like you're you're def- you're affecting you know just the vibrancy and or even like making it less vibrant if you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and one fun thing to do is like you can like make it black and white all except for the red on your like 
dog's collars, you might have like a flower on there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. You, so it's it's a those split toning and HSL are, are both really nice creative tools. So you know, editing doesn't have to just be about making things correct. You can make things creative and interesting too. Yeah, and then for those that don't live in iCloud Photo Library and maybe have this huge like. Uh, library on external hard drive, you support the Files app. Can you kind of speak about the workflow of working within Files versus the Photos app? Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a couple of ways to use the Files app. So one is, um, so I, I had a lot of people who said, I don't want to use the Photos app because I don't want to basically consume my entire iCloud storage with yeah. all these photos. So I want to just manage a small set of them. So I said, okay. So the first thing was you can import images into the app from wherever you want to, you can, from another app, you can say, you know, basically give it to raw power and it'll store it, not in the photo library, but in its own thing. Yeah. And you get all the same rating and editing, all that kind of stuff is there. You don't get the sync through iCloud, but you get all the other stuff. And, and that then, stuff is stored. Is that with it, it like on the external hard drive itself, or is that part of the, on my iPad kind of, uh, app specific Data set. Every yeah, all that stuff is stored on device. Okay, so there's not something stored on the external gotcha. drive. Yep, and that's something that you know people have asked for, and it's it's something I'm I'm looking into. So the external drive, you can also plug in an external drive, and then it can talk directly to that drive, mm-hmm. and then you can again edit and rate and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but the thing that it doesn't do is it doesn't let you edit on the external drive and then go take that external drive and go plug it into a, your Mac. Right. It's not for that. Yeah. It's more to say, look, I've got my iPad. I want to work on my iPad, but I don't want to fill my iPad with with space, with with photos, or I don't want to stick things in iCloud. That's what it's for. Gotcha. Yeah. I was just thinking it'd be it'd be neat if there was some way to do the um, the offloading more seamlessly to do the um, year month structure within files. But I guess it's kind of manual process of just hooking up the SD card and. You mean organizing things into folders automatically? Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that, yeah. That's that. That's a that's that's a good feature. Um, the app does not have that. No, but, yeah. Uh, I, I'm just trying I, to, I, I mean, yeah, right so now it's valuable. a very manual thing, or you can use shortcuts yeah. to try to work with that. But right. yeah, um, yeah. When I offload stuff, I just dump it in the Photos app and kind of work with it from there. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, and then there is a Mac version, and you mentioned they do talk if you're using iCloud. Anything else to mention about the Mac version? Um, so the Mac version, uh, it also supports both the photo library and folders you store in the Finder. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people, again, they don't use either they don't use photos at all, or they use photos. They don't want to use photos for their all of these images. Yeah. So they have they've organized their things into folders and uh, on their disk. And so the app happily will show you those folders and have, again, all the same features except for the syncing through iCloud. And so that is, I, that actually is, um, you know, probably half the people work that way. Oh, wow. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's surprising perhaps, but a lot of people manage their photos. They have their own systems and they, they need a nice front end with editing. And so Rapar provides that. And so you can have, Raw Power on Mac actually has multiple windows, so you could have a window open with your photo library, a window open with your, you know, with a with a folder on your disk, and you know, switch back and forth uh, really easily. So, um, so it's got all the same editing tools. The edits sync through iCloud, and you've got the ability to work with photos or files uh, however you want. Very cool. 
Yeah, and I was just thinking on the iPad, um, since it's the base, it's the Files app you support. Like it would work with things like the Synology Drive app, which it lives in the Files app, so you could be editing photos off your Synology right within. Kind right? of, um, kind of yes, kind of no. Yeah, one of the things because the way the application stores the information on device. It's using a reference back to the um, original file, but that the the link it's using sometimes changes on servers. Okay, and so the external storage thing is not designed for file servers right now. Okay, again, it's something I'd like to improve uh, with time. Yeah, but yeah, there are some there are some little funky things that sometimes happen with specifically iOS and file servers yeah, that don't happen, imagine. for example, on Mac with file servers. They, they're actually different. So the, yeah. the Mac works much better with file servers in that respect than, than, than raw power does um, on iOS. Gotcha. So. Well, anything we haven't covered uh, that you'd like to before we wrap it up? Um, boy, uh, I think we've covered everything. It's been, been very, uh, very detailed. Um, I, I, I will say that the, uh, um, the app is actually going to be on sale. So uh, through um, through the month of December, uh, it'll be on sale. So it'll Excellent. be 20 or 25% yeah. off. So it'll be a great time to pick it up. And uh, it's a it's a one-time purchase app. You just buy it and you can use it and it's in your arsenal to use whenever you need to edit. Yeah. yeah. No subscription. Uh, you can just download it and, and you know purchase it right there. And... Um, yeah, so that's I think that's 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 really great to have that. The Mac and the iOS apps are separate purchases, mm-hmm. but you buy each one only once, and you can have it on as many devices as you want. So you can, if you buy it for your iPad, it, the same purchase runs in your iPhone. And if you have your Mac, put it on all your Macs you want to. Yep, and I've been using uh, it with Stage Manager on the external display. I'm on the 16.2, which is in beta as we speak, and. It it looks great as it scales up to a nice twenty twenty seven inch display. So it kind of goes down from iPhone all the way up to to bigger displays on iPad, which is great. Yeah, yeah, and that was really important was to use the screen real estate efficiently. Yeah, um, so that you get all that. So yeah, if you have a big screen, it's not like oh, what? How come it's so weird looking? Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, for kind of staying up to date with like new updates and what's going on with the app, uh, any certain places you want to plug. For future stuff? Yeah, for future stuff. Um, not much right now. Uh, working on something big, uh, but uh, in classic Apple fashion, mm-hmm. I can't talk about it. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you uh, so much, Nick. This has just been wonderful. Um, and then uh, as far as um, just search for Raw Power in the App Store, uh, what's the website uh, URL as well? Uh, the quickest way is just go to rawpower.app. Excellent. And that'll jump you to the, the main website. And that's got all the information there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, that's my discussion with Nick. Make sure to grab Raw Power now while it's still on sale. It's an incredible app and something that is invaluable for processing RAWs on the iPad. You can learn more about Raw Power at gentlemancoders.com or search for Raw Power in the App Store. My thanks to Nick for his time recording and my thanks to you for your time and attention tuning in. You can support this podcast over patreon.com slash Pros or by subscribing in Apple Podcasts. With that, I'll talk to everyone again real soon.